Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I have the pleasure of meeting at a very long distance in South Africa from Zululand, Francoise Malby Anthony. Her book, The Elephants of Tula Tula, which might be pronounced Thula Thula, she will correct me if I'm wrong. You may know her book, An Elephant in My Kitchen, and now she's followed it up with an extraordinary book about the sanctuary, the 11,000-acre sanctuary that she manages. Francoise, it's wonderful to meet you, and I feel as if I've spent so many wonderful days with you already reading your book. I'm sure other people feel like they know you like a best friend. You have a wonderful style of telling your story as if it was just a normal day for you, which it is. Telling my story. You mean telling my story is like a... Well, you know, it's a book which was written to to, uh, to bring awareness about African wildlife and about the life in a, in a game reserve in Africa. Uh, you know, I've got a funny story about... Uh, after my first book was was uh, published, I live in my kitchen. I had a, an email from a lady in uh, in America actually, and she emailed me saying, uh, you know, my dream has always been to own a game reserve in Africa. And since I read your book, I've changed my mind." <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting. Well, yes, uh, the point. <laughs> because it's a life of challenges and it's a life of, uh, you know, fighting, fighting for the survival of our wildlife in Africa. And I think, I think it's good to bring awareness and a bit of education about what's actually happening to, 
to, to animals in the wilds of Africa. Well, the other thing that the book is about in great part, which is something that I had not thought about, was how the pandemic caused you to be in extreme financial distress because part of your reach out to the world is that you had have had and do have a wonderful facility for volunteers and even homeschooled children to be able to come and spend time. And the pandemic shut that down. And talk a little bit about the strain on you and, and these couple of wonderful volunteers over the years who who came and came with money, came with food, and kind of helped to rescue you the way you rescued the elephants. Talk about these wonderful people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, well, COVID was a catastrophe for us because, you know, we've got two lodges, but we've got guests coming, and which helped us actually to support uh, all our conservation work. And uh, uh, the pandemic just stopped all that from one day to another. We had zero income, and the government didn't help us at all. You know, it's not like in other countries where government was extremely helpful too. So uh, us, it was just finished. The problem is that when you've got a game reserve, you cannot just close the door and right. throw the keys away and, and fight the people. I had 50 employees, and I've got all these animals to protect. We had to keep our anti-poaching units, our security units. You know, we had to carry on protecting those animals against poaching because... You know, poverty creates poaching, unfortunately, and uh, we, we had to fight against all this. So uh, the, 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 the bills carry on coming. So um, w what we had, we, we had amazing people helping us uh, from all around the world, uh, helping us with some donations, and then we had volunteers as well. And then I created an adoption program. Uh, I put all my animals for adoption, you know, virtual adoption. Right. And uh, people just adopted my elephants, my rhinos, and my dogs. I did <laughs> my dogs, you know, I got lots of rescue dogs. And people loved them because of, we put beautiful photos of, of, uh, of my dogs. And even with elephants in the background, with rhinos in the background, so just to show that the coexistence between my pets. And my wildlife was wonderful. And uh, eventually, at the end, I even put my game rangers for adoption. So all this was extremely successful and helped us to survive. And uh, yes, we had volunteers as well because it was we were allowed to do educational uh, educational um, activities uh, after a, a certain number of months. So uh, with the volunteers, and then we had donations from all around the world as well to help the local communities. We were in total desperation with no food and no access to any income as well. So it was actually a very tough moment and it was an eye-opener, uh, you know, to see how other people live as well. Even for my game, we went to distribute food to all the local communities. And it was a very tough time and very eye-opening. But, you know, it was a very challenging times for everybody all around the world. But I must tell you, in the tourism and hospitality industry and a wildlife reserve like us, it was really a very tough time. But we survived. We survived thanks to the generosity of, 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 of donors and thanks to the, uh, you know, the, the adoption program was a huge success as well. So we were able to survive, which is a miracle. 
Well, I think you were able to survive because of the strength of your leadership. And when you say it was an eye-opener, for me it was an eye-opener to think about the burden on places that no one had considered. You know, in the United States and in Great Britain, there's articles in the paper at the time at the height of the pandemic Aside from the human suffering and illness, oh, the travel industry is ruined. Oh, the poor people with the cruise ships. But your tourism was to support this extraordinary refuge for animals. And they were all, and the people in your village and your rangers were all in danger of starving. So, you know, it's funny because perspective is everything, but the idea of tourism, or in your case, I guess it's technically called ecotourism, and sometimes when we're so removed from the realities of your life, the survival of these animals, which you have made possible, people have such a, a skewed vision of what survival means. You know that people can't go on their African safari, oh, boo-hoo. But in your case, it's these animals who've been saved from horrendous fates, that you were able to keep going because so many people knew what you were doing and knew the the deep value of it to the future of those species and also of the country. Can you talk a little bit about how you wound up in Zulululand? How, how, what's the how you wound up there? What brought you there in the first place to the sanctuary oh, so people get a because, perspective uh, on I, you? Yeah, because well, in 1987, in January 1987, I met my 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 future husband, Lawrence Anthony, and uh, it, and I met him in London, waiting for a taxi. And then in December 1987, uh, I uh, moved to South Africa from Paris. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry to laugh, that, but it just. It's such a, you know, the taxi stand in London, and there you were, this, I'm sure, chic Parisian, because yeah. everyone in Paris is chic. And now you're in the jungle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So so uh, it, it was quite an adventure, I must say. Well, we lived in Durban before, and we bought that game reserve in 1998. Uh, but I must tell you, the adjustment was tough uh, from, from the city to the bush. Uh, and uh, it, it was quite an in, interesting uh, survival story in a way. You see, yes. Uh, so like uh, the adaptation to to new surroundings, to new environment, uh, to a new life was a bit tough. And I've been there for 25 years uh, and uh, no regret at all on the contrary, you know. I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, change is so important. Uh, and uh, it's something, you know, to adapt to a new situation, uh, it's, 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 and, and, and all the challenges and the adversity uh, that we've been through during the 25 years, uh, really, uh, for me, that's a secret to survival, to adapt to new situations. And, and um, this is, uh, it's a, for me, this is what brings evolution and, and, and growth. You see, to to to, uh, to to make such radical changes like that in your life, because you have to learn a brand new life from having a second life. Yes. And then he taught me the passion for animals, the passion for conservation, which I had no idea about before. This is why, for me, the necessity to educate and to bring awareness to other people in all the sides, all the parts of the world is so important, and, and uh, to the youth of today as well. 
because it is their planet. You see that the planet where they're going to grow and they're going to have children. And I think it's so important to, that's what those books are written for, you see, to, to, to bring more awareness, to, to, to uh, widen your horizon of people. That's why we, we get those volunteers as well. We get those volunteers academy, which is uh, such a success as well, because people just come and they come for one week or two weeks or three weeks and they come and uh, uh, discover a brand new world, the life-changing experience for them and from young to to, to not so young i mean yes. I've had, uh, uh, people over, over 70 years old and they come and they work as much as the the, the, the teenagers and they discover like the behind the scene of the life in a game reserve because you see when you come as a guest it's it, it appears like a dream life in the african bush it's right. by beautiful nature and wildlife. yes People stay in luxury, the beautiful food, they see the, the beautiful stuff. They, they don't see the reality when you come as a volunteer, you do. And because you understand the work which is behind all this. And this is what, uh, it's an eye-opener as well, you see all this. And this is what people come and discover. They come and work for one week, two weeks, three weeks, and they, they realize it just not doesn't come down from the sky. It is, right. it's, it's, it's got to be worked on. The roads have been, I've got to be uh, fixed as uh, when we got, uh, you know, we are so dependent of nature, of the floods, of the drought, and uh, we understand nature resilience as well. So it is just a uh, wonderful uh, educate, educational path. And, but as you said, also spiritual for a lot of people. I think that there's an entire generation, and it may not be a younger generation, a generation or a group in that generation who look at the fancy safari with chandeliers hanging in tents and uniformed local servants serving dinners that seem awfully, I've never wanted to go on a safari for that reason. It seems so weird that if you wanted to see a lion or an elephant or a cheetah, that you would do it in this most peculiar way with a lot of Sherpas and servants. It seemed very colonial to me. And I think that there are a lot yes, of people who yes. want to have a genuine experience, whether it's to go to France and work in a vineyard for two or three weeks, really work, you know, bend over and, and weed the, the vines and feel a sense of connection to the land and to the process of making wine, not go on a winery tour. And I think that, that am I saying it right, Tula Tula, or do you pronounce it with a T-H? No, not Tula Tula is correct. Tula yes, Tula. Tula, Tula is that, correct, yes. I think that reading your book, The Elephants of Tula Tula, makes it very accessible. And for anybody of any age, and it could be grandparents bringing their grandchildren, the idea of going to a place and living with the real people who live there, working alongside them, but being in that proximity to these extraordinary creatures who have nearly been wiped off the planet by the dreaded behavior of humans, which continues because you're still fighting against the poachers, can be life-changing. You said that. And I think it's that the only way in the modern world where everything is done virtually and with computers and technology to really be there on the ground, on the earth that's been there for so long and be part of it, even for, a, 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 I guess it's called a vacation, but it's really... In a way, a kind of mental retreat from the modern world 
and a reconnection to something really primitive and primal. And I think your book describes it so well, Francoise, and that's why, to me, the book is almost an entry point to being able to come and volunteer, because it seems like whoever, yes. whomever has volunteered winds up always being in touch with you, sending you money, wanting pictures, telling others. It spreads the word, doesn't it, beyond the people who actually come? Absolutely. You see, you face the reality, the reality of, of preserving nature and preserving wildlife. But it's educational as well because you learn about animals as well. You learn uh, the the volunteers do uh, educational game drive when they study the behavior of the elephants, where uh, they're going to, uh, you know, just uh, participate to um, the 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 wildlife. I mean, they they really have got it's it's a it's work. It's half work and half educational. Well, it's all educational in a way, but they learn about the animals as well. Thoroughly as well, thoroughly, not only for uh, uh, from a touristic viewpoint, we really learn. So it's it's extremely. Uh, um, um, I'm trying to find the word in English. It's extremely uplifting, and and I mean it's life changing because I've seen I've seen people change after the, the, their yes. time uh, being volunteers. But I just say we live in a virtual world with everything's on screen. Uh, kids spend spend their life. Uh, uh, and 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 there, I mean, you're not allowed to use your Wi-Fi all the time as well, which is good. You use it only at night to to exchange photos and everything. Otherwise, you know, and and, and it, the, the, the volunteers camp as well is on top of the hill. It's got the most. It sounds beautiful so beautiful. Or, the or, way you describe or, it in the book. Overall, beautiful. It is lake and and uh, you you get the sunrise and the sunset. So you live in a tent, which is quite a permanent tent, but it's quite rustic, yeah. And uh, on the evening, they all cook their own food. So it's not a fancy a safari lodge where you get the French cuisine or the tented camp where <laughs> you get, um, you know, the beautiful uh, service and everything. It's not. A, but you know what I found? A lot of volunteers, what they do, they come and do one week, two weeks or three weeks of volunteering. Then they go and experience the luxury for a couple of days, <laughs> and uh, they appreciate that. And exactly. They the, exactly. The they look at it from a different viewpoint. You see? Thank you, Francois. Okay, Tracy. Thank you so uh, much. I wish you continued great luck, and I hope that your wonderful book, The Elephants of Tula Tula, brings many more people to the reserve. Thanks for being with me. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal. 
also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dog food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.